Hello and welcome. My name is Jackie Lindahl and this is the Fit Like a Girl podcast. I am a mom, wife, an avid coffee drinker and weightlifter, as well as a personal trainer. And I own my own company called Fit Like a Girl Personal Training. In this podcast, I will help you reach your weight loss and fitness goals with no BS advice, cutting through all the myths and the crap that is out there so that you feel empowered and confident in reaching your goals. Along with fitness and health, I will also talk about many other subjects like mom stuff, life stuff, business, money, and so much more. So grab a coffee or put on your headphones and go for a walk and let's chat. Hello and welcome back to the Fit Like a Girl podcast. I am your host, Jackie Lindahl. It has been a couple of weeks. It's been a few weeks. I usually try to get these out bi-weekly, like every two weeks, but it's been a few weeks because we have had sickness run rampant through our house. Oh my goodness. We had, my daughter started daycare in March and then of course she's bringing home all the illnesses. And then I got sick uh, with a cold and then I got a sinus infection immediately following that cold. So that was fun. Um, and as a result of the cold plus the sinus infection, I completely lost my voice. So hence why no podcast, because I couldn't really talk that well. Um, I sounded really scary. So anyways, finished my round of antibiotics and I'm feeling much better and ready to get back to it. So yeah, I'm really happy and really, really grateful for antibiotics. Oh my goodness. Because I was feeling miserable. Like I was starting to feel better from the cold and then I developed this like weird cough And then I was like, well, that's weird that like I'm coughing now, but I'm starting to like feel like I'm on the mend from the cold. But then about a day later after the cough started, my face started to hurt like all around my eyes and my teeth and all that kind of stuff. And I've had a sinus infection before. So I was like, well, this screams sinus infection. So luckily was able to get in and get some antibiotics and get those started. And yeah, feeling a lot better now. So it's funny though, when you have like infections and you have to go on antibiotics, the advice that you get from people, like people just always being like, you should try to avoid antibiotics. Or don't you think that you can like try to do some sinus rinses instead of taking the antibiotics or, Oh, you're on antibiotics. Oh my gosh. Make sure that you stock up on probiotics. And I know some people's guts and some people, some women get like yeast infections or something like that. When they go on antibiotics, I get that. But like, come on people. Let me just go on my antibiotics in peace, please, without getting all the advice, all the lovely advice from people online and DMing me, telling me that I should do iodine rinses in my sinuses, which sounds fucking terrible. And that I should do, you know, stock up on probiotics and all of these things, which like, I mean, the probiotic one I get is like pretty legit advice, but still, but still, just let me go on my antibiotics in peace to clear up the infection. I know how antibiotics work. I am a big supporter of medicine and antibiotics. I mean, you know, when they're needed, I also understand that antibiotic resistance is a thing and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, just saying. So what else has been going on for the past couple of weeks? Um, at my poor dog my poor dog. He developed some kind of a wound around the same time that I start got on my sinus infection. 
I noticed that he was like licking his hind end a lot. And I used to be a vet tech. So a lot of those things go through my mind of like, oh, what could it be? What could it be? Generally when they're licking their hind end, um, this might be a bit TMI, but whatever. Generally if an animal's licking or bothering their hind end quite a bit, it can be what's called their anal glands. And I'm not really going to go into a lot of detail. You can Google that, but it was something that I dealt with a lot when I was a vet tech. So I tried dealing with that to see if maybe that would help. No, no. And then of course, cause he's got like thick fur. I couldn't really tell till one day I actually like grabbed him and was like, let me see what's going on here. Cause he's licking his hind end right beside, like right kind of on his hamstring by his tail. And then of course I found he basically had like this big wound, not big, but like big enough that I was like, ah, crap on his hind end. So I was like, ah, oh. so he has been living in the cone of shame. The poor guy. It's almost healed up, almost healed up but I don't trust him enough to leave it alone because the problem is, is when a dog develops a wound or something like that is they lick it, lick it, lick it, lick it, because that's how animals, you know, especially dogs decide to look after themselves. And if something hurts and then they will get it infected and then it's not going to heal. I dealt with this all the time as a vet tech, all the time. So luckily I have a cone. So he's been living in the cone of shame for the past, like, 10 days, which he hates. Oh my gosh, he hates. But I know that if I take the cone off, like my husband was saying last night, he's like, why don't we just take it off and just leave it off and see if he leaves it alone? I'm like, no, because I don't trust him. Because if he licks it, then it's going to make it worse. And then we have to start all over again. And it's healing and it's looking really good that I don't want to screw it over. Anyways, that's what's been new with us. So he's healing. He's almost done. Um, with his cone and stuff, I would say maybe like another day or two and he'll be totally fine. Did the wound need a stitch? Yeah, maybe looking at it. I was like, yeah, I could probably use a stitch. But again, with his mommy being a former vet tech, <laughs> he just gets the treatment at home. The poor guy. He's used to me just nursing him and his wounds and the various things that he goes through at home because it's not that I don't want to bring him into the vet. I just... I know that I can deal with it and I know what I can't deal with. And I'm more than willing to bring him in when it's something that I can't deal with. But I was a vet tech for six years. I know how to deal with a wound, like that kind of thing. So anyways, he is fine. Um, my daughter is doing great. She is, um, having a little bit of allergies this year, which like not a huge surprise considering we moved somewhere where we're out of town now. And there's just so much more snow mold and all that kind of stuff. Plus we have had the weirdest spring here on the face of the planet. Like it's just been so strange. We went from like super cold to then really warm. So everything melted within like the, you know, course of like a week really, really quickly. And then it got cold again and warm again and cold and warm. And it's just the snow mold is really bad this year and stuff. So she's been dealing with some allergies, but I feel like we got her on the right track for it. Time will tell. I don't know. Poor kid's just going to live on reacting like her father because he also has really bad allergies. But anyways, so that's what's new in my world. Nothing significant, nothing really earth shattering. Wanted to get into today's topic. So because it's been a couple of weeks since I've done a podcast episode, I actually wanted to do a Q&A episode. And so I put on my Instagram, if you're not following me on Instagram, I will post the link in the show notes and you can go follow me there. Um, so I posted a, like, ask me a question in my Instagram and I got a handful of really good questions that I'm going to go over. Um, yeah. So we will get into it. Question number one, 
is what's your opinion on Fitbits, step counters, Apple watches, etc. So I um I actually used to not be a big fan of them uh because I felt like I don't know. It was just one of those, like, in my opinion, a really useless piece of technology. However, though, over the past couple of years, I've actually become a big fan of them. And the reason is like, I'm not telling, you know, you, you, that you have to run out and buy yourself an Apple watch or something like that, but I have become a fan of them because they are such a useful tool. And a lot of the things that they can do is like really cool and stuff, but it's a useful tool when it comes to, especially the step counting Um, I really like now I, you know, there's a lot of nuances to the step counting and stuff like that and discrepancies and whatnot. But overall, I like that it is something that helps track people's activity throughout the day. And it can serve as that reminder of, Hey, you've been sitting for the past four hours. Maybe you should get up and go for a walk or people can look at their watches and go, Oh, I've only taken 2000 steps today. Maybe I should get up and go for a walk or get myself moving or do something. That is what I really like about them. And that's where a lot of my clients that have Fitbits, Apple watches, or some kind of a step counter device on them. Uh, that's what they really like is that it serves as a reminder to get moving throughout the day. And I find I have a watch that I use. Um, it's a knockoff. Apple watch because, uh, your girl's cheap. Um, but I like it and I do find when I wear it, um, because I'm not wearing it right now, but normally I do. But when I do wear it, I am more conscious of my movement throughout the day. Have I been moving today? Have I gone for a walk? You know, I count, I track up a lot of steps doing house cleaning and stuff like that throughout the day, but certain things, um, it just really helps serve as that reminder, which I really like. Now, things that I don't love about the Fitbits and stuff is number one, I don't love the calories burned the quote unquote, it'll tell you how many calories you burned in a day. I don't love that because when it comes to the calories burned for whether it's your phone, a watch, whatever, your treadmill, whatever it might be, they grossly overestimate how many calories you actually burn in a day. Though The calories burned is not accurate. And the thing that I don't like about it is it gives people the mentality of, oh, I, it'll tell you, you burned 2,500 calories today. So then people think, oh, I can eat all that food back or whatever it might be. And it's like, no, actually, because it's really a big overestimation and you, chances are you might not have burned that many calories. And if your goal is weight loss and you're trying to be in a calorie deficit, that won't be very helpful. So that part, I don't really like about them. Uh, the other thing that I don't love about it is that oftentimes, or just like one other thing, it's just a little thing, but it's just something to be aware of is because you wear it on your wrist, at least I find the one that I wear, it tracks more so my hand and arm movements more than anything. So like, I remember it was a couple months ago, I was babysitting my niece and she's being a little bit fussy. So I'm patting her on the back using my hand that, um, has the watch on it. And after, you know, fussing with her a couple times that day and sitting and patting her back and burping her and all these things, uh, it tracked that I had burn that I got like 10,000 calories or 10,000 steps, not calories, 10,000 steps in like two hours. I was like, well, no, because I've been sitting on my ass watching golden girls holding this little baby all day. So I really have not been 
using that many calories. But at the same time, yeah, I just found like, okay, whatever, you know, so those types of things you just kind of have to take with a grain of salt, knowing like, okay, sure. I've been patting my baby on the back or whatever it might be for the last hour. And no, I haven't actually taken like 7,000 steps in an hour. So overall, I like the Fitbits and the step counters and stuff. It helps give people a goal is the other thing that I really like is when people will get them, they get all excited about it and they want to start getting their steps in and stuff. So it gives you a way that you can set yourself a goal with the step counters and just a reminder to keep yourself moving. So overall, a lot more pros than there are cons to them. If you've been thinking about getting a Fitbit step counter, whatever it might be, maybe something to consider. They're pretty cool. Um, yeah. Question number two, should I track calories or macros? So this is a really common question and it's a really good one because I will explain, um, kind of, I guess, calories versus macros and how they work. So in short, tracking calories or tracking macros is the same thing. You're doing the same thing. If you're tracking calories, you're generally only tracking one number. If you're tracking macros, you're tracking three numbers. So quickly, macronutrients or macros are your three main um, big nutrients, your carbohydrates, protein, and fat. And some people will argue that water is like the fourth uh, macronutrient, but we won't worry too much about water. But anyway, so your calories or your carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Now, those are the big three macronutrients. We call them macro because we require them in bigger amounts versus micronutrients, uh, like your vitamins and minerals and things like that are more considered your micronutrients that you require in just teeny tiny, like milligrams a day. Now, those three macronutrients make up what's in our calories. So carbohydrates and protein both have approximately four calories per gram and fats have nine calories per gram. Okay. And those three things make up what our calories are. So it's essentially when you're tracking your macros, you are tracking your calories. Now, really there's no right or wrong answer here as far as what you want to track. If you want to track, they're both great for a lot of people the thought of tracking macros is a little overwhelming in that you have to track three different numbers. Whereas if you track calories, it's more one number that you have to worry about. One other argument that people will say is if, for example, you have a certain aesthetic goal or you're a bodybuilder or something like that, you really want to worry about packing on muscle mass, then tracking macronutrients or at least one of the macronutrients like protein can be beneficial versus just tracking calories alone. So something to consider if you're weight training, if you are, uh, wanting to build muscle mass, maintain your muscle mass, whatever it might be, then at the very least tracking your protein intake will help because we need that protein to help build and maintain our muscle mass. Um, so tracking that protein will help for sure, along with tracking calories. Say, for example, if you wanted to gain weight, you would need to be in a calorie surplus, or if you wanted to lose weight, you'd have to be in a calorie deficit. So you can do a little bit of both that way. Most of the time I get my clients to track as well as myself. Um, if weight loss is a goal to worry just about your calories and your protein. And even then I don't give hard and fast numbers. I just give a range. Like you want to be within this range for calories and within this range for protein. If you're anywhere within that range, amazing. 
That way, I don't like to give hard and fast numbers because then people get too worried about those numbers that just aim for a range. Really, you don't have to be perfect with it. That range is good. When it comes to tracking carbohydrates and fats, that really just depends on, um, it's not as important when it comes to weight loss and building muscle like carbohydrates and fats. They are needed in our diet, both of them very important. However, though, a lot of times carbohydrates and fats just kind of fall into place and it's they're not as important to be tracked versus calories and protein. So both, so in short, they do tracking calories, tracking macros, do the same thing. Um, you can track calories and protein. You can track all three macros if you want. Really, it's up to you and what you want to do. For some people, tracking calories is just enough at first, especially, and then you can worry about adding in tracking protein and stuff like that later. But they do the same thing. There's nothing wrong with either one. Yeah, just depending on what you want to do, what your goals are, really. Question number three, really good question. Um, Having slash had a prior knee injury, so they're saying like me, uh, do you use a joint supplement? So do you use a joint supplement having slash had a previous knee injury? So if you don't know about um, what kind of this person is talking about, uh, they are a, they're asking about, because I previously have had bad knee injuries and surgeries, and I did a whole podcast on it, actually, if you want to go back and listen to it. Um where I talked about my ACL surgeries, AC, ACL tears, ACL surgeries, my meniscus tear, my meniscus surgery, and all that kind of stuff and how weight training helped me with my, um, you know, kind of getting back to life after my knee injuries and surgeries and stuff. So if you want to go listen to that episode, go listen to it. I go like talk all about it. But do I use a joint supplement? Um, honestly, no, I don't. Um, I don't use anything like glucosamine. I did glucosamine for a little while um, for about six months just to try it. Um, but I found that it wasn't really earth shattering, making a big difference. And maybe because right now where I'm at in my life, I don't have any arthritis in my knees yet. Um, I say yet because chances are pretty high as I get older, I will develop arthritis in my knees. But also uh, in talking with my orthopedic surgeon about it and stuff, she said, you know, it's something that hasn't really been studied long-term, the effects of it. She said it, in her opinion, it had been studied, you know, this is just her opinion. This is just what she told me. Um, so if you use glucosamine and you love it and you find it helpful, great. This is just what my knee surgeon told me. In her opinion, it wasn't studied long enough for the effects long-term. So like people being on it for 10, 20, 30 years, when I had my knee surgeries, I was really young. And she said, a lot of people who take glucosamine are older. So she said, I don't know what the effects would be of you starting to take glucosamine in your twenties, how that's going to look in your forties, fifties, sixties. So she said, you could try it. It's definitely, you know, whatever. But I found that, yeah, for me, it just, and plus, uh, one thing that I didn't like about glucosamine was that um, most brands you had to take it like three times a day, which I forget. I had a hard enough time to remember to take my antibiotic for one week, three times a day, Never mind a glucosamine pill that I have to take three times daily. So I didn't really love that. Um, yeah. So as far as like joint supplements, the only thing that I would say that I 
do take regularly, but I take it for multiple different reasons, is omega fatty acids. Um, Omega fatty acids has been studied for helping with inflammation throughout the body, including inflammation in the joints. So I do take it for that as well as I don't eat a ton of fatty fish um, in my diet. So I take it as well for like heart health and stuff like that. But yeah, so I don't, um, no, I don't take a joint supplement having had a knee injury right now, I'll say. Not to say that I would rule it out for forever, but at the moment my knees are healthy and feeling good. Knock on wood, I hope I don't just jinx myself. Um, yeah, so I don't right now, but I would, you wouldn't rule it out for forever. That's for sure. Just given that chances are pretty high that I will develop likely some form of arthritis or something like that as I get older. So really good question. Question number four, how do I tell if I'm bloated or if it's body fat? And then they followed it up with legit question. (laughs) So that's a really good question. Um, because especially if you're tracking your weight on the scale, you might notice after like a weekend away or a dinner out or something like that, the scale jumps up or you just feel it. Like you feel like your clothes are tighter and you feel kind of like, ugh, and you don't know, is it body fat or is it bloat? So a couple of things. Number one is water weight. So bloating comes on quickly. It can come on overnight. Body fat does not come on overnight. So for example, if you go out to dinner and you have a big plate of pasta, like a gigantic, like you went to the Olive Garden and you ate all the breadsticks and all the pasta and you just went to town at the Olive Garden and you jump on the scale the next morning and the scale's gone up three pounds and your clothes feel tighter and you're like, oh my God, I gained all this weight overnight. No, you didn't. That is bloat. That is bloat. That's not body fat. Even if you ate 5,000 calories in one night of pasta and breadsticks at the Olive Garden, you did not gain that in body fat overnight. That is bloat. That's extra food in your stomach, etc. It will go away. Body fat comes on slowly. So over time, let's say over the course of like couple of months, three months, four months, you notice your clothes getting tighter and tighter and tighter over time, that kind of thing. That's an indication that that is body fat accumulating on your body. Whereas if it's something quick or, you know, hormone changes for women is another big thing when it comes to bloating. If you are getting closer to your period and you're noticing your weight on the scale is creeping up a little bit, your clothes are fitting a little bit tighter, that kind of thing, that's an indication that that's more so bloat. But then it's important to kind of make note of these things because if you're noticing closer to your period, your weight goes goes up a little bit, you're feeling bloated, all these kinds of things pay attention to what happens after your period, because generally after your period or as your period is ending, the bloat will go down, your weight will come back more normal, all those types of things. So just a reminder, bloat comes on quickly, can come on in a matter of a weekend or a day. Body fat gain is slow. It does not happen overnight, does not happen over one weekend. Um, it takes time for body fat to accumulate. So just keep that in mind. Um, things that you can do and plus bloat can be managed, right? So you feel bloated and you drink some water, you get yourself back on track for eating, eat some vegetables, lots of fiber, you go to the bathroom more, all that kind of stuff. Then within a matter of a few days, that bloat should go back down. Doesn't work like that with body fat. Body fat to lose it requires time, patience, consistency, and a calorie deficit. 
So some things to keep in mind. But it's a really good question because I get that question a lot, especially with clients who will go away for a weekend or they will, you know, have a night out or whatever. And then they text me or message me the next day and they're like, oh my God, I went out this weekend or I was, you know, I ate this last night and now I, the scales jumped up and I'm fat, gaining fat and all these things. It's like, calm the fuck down, Brenda. No, you're not. You're just bloated. Have some water eat some vegetables today, go for a walk, get yourself back on track and the bloat will be gone in a matter of a couple of days. So it's a really good question because a lot of people do freak out about those types of things. And it's just, honestly, it's nothing to be panicked about. You don't gain body fat overnight. Okay. Next question. My neck hurts after doing a shoulder exercise. Is it because the weight is too heavy? So I'm I don't have a lot of context to this in that exactly what shoulder exercise it is, um, that is causing the neck to hurt. And obviously I can't tell by look, you know, I can't tell just from a message what your form looks like when you do the exercise. So it's hard to tell, but I will give a little bit of advice. Um, number one, usually when you're doing a shoulder exercise, let's say uh, for example, an over head press where I'm pressing dumbbells up to the sky and back down. There's many different muscles that are connected to your shoulders. One of them being your trap muscles or your trapezius muscles. And those are connected onto the back of your shoulders. They run, it's kind of like a weird triangle shaped, uh, triangle flag shaped muscle that starts at the base of your neck and it wings out to each shoulder. And then it kind of comes down, like I said, in like a kind of triangle shape um, into kind of like the mid of your back around your shoulder blades. So these triangle muscles, oftentimes when you have a sore neck, the back of your neck, those are the muscles that hurt is your trapezius muscles. So if you are doing, for example, an overhead press and you have your shoulders tucked up to your ears and not relaxed and pulled down, as you're doing the exercise, that can put some pressure on your trapezius muscles, which are not the muscles that you want to be concentrating on doing, for example, a shoulder press. So my biggest advice would be to get your form checked. If you want, you can take a quick video of you doing the exercise and send me a video. I'm more than happy to take a look for you to double check what exercise it is. But chances are it could be something like that, where it's just a few form fixes that have to be changed to help that. Could it be that the weight is too heavy? Possibly. Um, but as long as your form is good, then the weight shouldn't be a problem. So I would just honestly double check, have your form checked out. If it still is a problem, then having it checked out by a physiotherapist and or doctor, especially if it is a nagging injury over time. But really good question. Um, thank you for sending that one in. Okay. Next question after that. I'm going to give you full disclosure here. I had started recording this podcast in the afternoon during what was supposed to be my child's nap. However, it didn't work out very well. And this is what happens when I procrastinate things. And she decided that she did not want to nap and decided instead to scream bloody murder this afternoon. So I had to stop recording the podcast and it's now the evening after she's gone to bed hopefully she will not scream like a banshee. Um, and now I can finish up the questions. <laughs> so question number six, few hours later, 
is are body work, body weight workouts enough? And I didn't, again, get a whole lot of nuancer uh, context to this question, but I'll go into a little bit of kind of like detail, just guesstimating what this person's asking. So it's hard to say exactly what you mean when you say our body weight workouts enough, because we don't really know what enough is. Like, is it enough for weight loss? Is it enough for muscle building? Is it enough for overall fitness for life? So we'll just kind of give some context. I will say if you are a very beginner, like starting from scratch, you don't work out, you want to get started with something, body weight workouts are great to start. They're great. And there are body weight exercises that you can do that are quite challenging and you'll kind of always do those exercises. Like for example, you know, a body weight squat probably not going to be super challenging at first or after a while. Like at first might be challenging, especially if you're new to learning the form and all those things. But as time goes on, you're going to need a little bit more stimulus to keep yourself progressing. And especially if you're looking for in the context of muscle gains, you're going to want to add what's called a progressive overload over time where you're progressively increasing the weight, increasing the reps, making the move more challenging, which is hard to do if you're only doing body weight. That being said, something like, for example, push-ups can be a quite a challenging exercise. And for a lot of people, when they first start doing push-ups, body weight push-ups, they have to start with, for example, either an incline push-up or on their knees and then eventually progressing to their toes. That is an example of a body weight exercise that you can progress. And there's different ways to do push-ups that can make them really challenging, um, that you can kind of do push-ups for forever and find them always a challenge. Um, pull-ups are another example of a body weight exercise. You're pulling up your body weight. That's very challenging. And there's multiple different ways that you can do pull-ups. You can do kind of like you know, assisted pull-ups, pull-ups, you can do chin-ups where your palms are facing forward versus facing outwards. So as far as our body weight exercises enough, body weight exercises are a great place to start. If you have no equipment, if you are just starting out, uh, they're great. And I will preface this by also saying that body weight is better than nothing. So if your alternative is doing body weight or do nothing, do body weight workouts. There's nothing wrong with them. They can be made challenging if you change up the tempo, do circuits, all those types of things. But if your goal is to build muscle mass or to, you know, maintain muscle mass, get stronger over time, you're going to need to kind of level your level up a little bit over time, adding some form of resistance, whether that be a resistance band dumbbell, barbell, eventually you're going to need something else. But as far as getting started, body weight is better, better than nothing. And if the alternative is to do nothing, then do body weight workouts for sure. Definitely. They're a good alternative. They're great for traveling. Yeah. Question number seven, is it true that you only digest and use a certain amount of protein at a time? So this is kind of a myth. Um, that you'll hear people talk about where they'll say, oh, your body only can like digest and utilize 20 grams or 25 grams or 30 grams of protein at a time. So you shouldn't be having more than that in a meal. 
and it's a myth. Um, it's, it's been kind of debunked many times. If your body can digest the protein, your body's going to utilize the protein and the amino acids that come along with the protein and things like that. So it is a myth. It has been debunked. It's a really popular one that's out there. I know even, um, I, my husband asked me about it actually not that long ago asking, is this really true? Um, but no, it's not. It's just a popular myth. You can eat protein. Cause I know commonly, for example, like if you're eating a steak or a chicken or something like that, you're eating like probably 30 grams of protein or more in a sitting. Or if you're eating like a big steak or something, that's probably like 40 or 50 grams of protein per sitting, which is quite a bit. And yeah, your body will utilize it, break it down and stuff. Some people find if they eat too much protein, it can upset their stomach or something like that. So I guess in that case, you know, that might be something that you can work around. But as far as like, will your body only utilize only part of it? No, your body will utilize the protein that um, you intake. So number eight is my grip is um, my grip is suffering with a barbell deadlift. So they're having trouble with their grip strength with the barbell deadlifts. And this is pretty common, especially as you get lifting heavier and heavier, um, or you're switching like from dumbbell to barbell that you might notice a change in your grip strength. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure exactly how this person is gripping the barbell, but one suggestion that I usually give to my clients is to, if you're using like a double overhand grip, meaning you're gripping the barbell with palms facing backwards is to try a mixed grip where your dominant hand goes forward or palm facing backwards and your non-dominant hand comes underneath and your palm is facing forward. I find that mixed grip really helps. Um, I don't have the greatest grip strength myself either. And definitely, you know, I found that the mixed grip really helps, especially when you're lifting heavier weights. Once you're getting to the point that you're lifting quite heavy and you're starting to reach kind of like your you know, maximum of three to five repetitions, say you're lifting quite heavy and low, um, reps, then you can consider doing something like getting wrist wraps or something like that, um, is a good idea. I mean, if you're wanting to be like a power lifter or something like that, uh, I don't really think that they allow wrist wraps in powerlifting competitions. So in that case, you just have to work on your grip strength, use chalk, all that kind of stuff. But overall, if you're just wanting to lift some heavy weights, there's nothing wrong with using wrist straps. I wouldn't use them if you're doing like 10, 12 reps or whatever. You should be able to hold onto the bar with whatever you're doing for 10 or 12 reps. But if you're doing like five reps or less, definitely there's nothing wrong with using, um, with using like grips or wrist wraps or something like that to help your grip with the bar so that you can pull up the weight. So yeah. Use a mixed grip to start. And if you're doing super heavy weight with low repetitions, you can use chalk, you can use wrist straps, something like that to help, um, grip onto the bar a little bit better. And that is it. That is all the questions for today. I really appreciate you guys taking a listen. I hope that you found these questions helpful. I always like Q&A episodes. They're probably not my most popular episodes as far as listeners go, but I really like them because I enjoy listening to Q&A episodes of myself for podcasts, like listening to 
uh, fitness podcast or business podcast that I like, I really enjoy listening to Q&A episodes because I'll hear a question. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a question that I've been thinking about or, oh wow, I never even thought about that. I'm so glad that somebody asked. So I really enjoy the Q&A episodes. I hope you guys do too and that you learn something from it. Um, if you haven't already, please feel free to follow me on the Instagram. I will post my Instagram, uh, link in the show notes and you can go and follow me there and keep up with my social media and my ramblings and life and everything. If you have questions about the podcast or some of my online training options, my personal training options, definitely feel free to head to my website. My website is www.fitlikeagirl.ca. I'll also post that in the show notes. I am actually taking on some new online clients. So if you are interested in online training, needing some help with your goals and your say, you're going to the gym and you're working out, but you're not quite seeing the results that you want yet, or you need somebody to kind of help keep you accountable and give you a program that will work for your goals and what you need, I would love to help you. So please feel free to head to my website and you can apply for training there or reach out to ask questions through my contact form. And if you haven't already, please feel free to subscribe to this podcast. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast so far, you enjoyed this episode, I would love and appreciate a five-star written review. Reviews just really help to boost the podcast so that people can see it, gets more visibility, and I can help more people just like you. Otherwise, I just want to say thank you so much for listening again, and I hope that you have a great rest of your day, and take care, fam. Thank you.